Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Kansas City Chiefs rally for a second time in the Super Bowl in the last four years. And for the second time in the last four years, they hoist the Lombardi Trophy as they take down the Philadelphia Eagles after being down by double-digit points. Woo! Good game. Exciting game. Entertaining game. As my wife said while we were watching it, she goes, at least it's a good game. At least it's a fun game to watch. There's nothing worse than when the Super Bowl's a lopsided stinker. It's <laughs> just like when you're just waiting for the commercial breaks. That's not a good sign. Last night, though, we had ourselves a dandy of a game and one that got done in an appropriate amount of time. So... A certain producer and show host actually got a good night's rest. <laughs> good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III. I'm joined, of course, by the man we lovingly refer to as D'Lo, Dawson Iserlow. Chiefs win. We talked about this being a coin flip game, and it essentially was a coin flip game. Kind of played out the way we expected it except for a few things. I'll give my takeaways, and then Dawson will give his as well. And we'd love to hear from you. Game hotline's open, as always, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Mahomes deserves the MVP. I probably would have voted him the MVP if I was there. And... We can talk about some of the other big factors in this ballgame. Two guys stepped up that needed to. We talked about it the last couple of weeks, Dawson and I did. Who's going to step up? Because you know Travis Kelsey was going to get his, which he did. He got his touchdown out of the way, had some big catches. But he really he was only held to three catches in the second half when they mounted the comeback. It was Tony and Schuster that stepped up when they needed I mean, it, those guys came up huge in the second half. Philly targeted, and rightfully so, Kelsey. So Tony, the guy that many people believe was a first-round draft bust that the Chiefs traded for during the season from the Giants. And Juju Smith-Schuster, who, let's be honest, likable guy, but kind of had fallen off a little bit before he decided to come to Kansas City. Pittsburgh wasn't, you know, that upset to see him go. Those are your number two, number three options, really, in this offense. They came up huge. 
They came up with big catch. Tony had the sensational punt return that was nearly a touchdown, the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, by the way. So we're going to talk a lot about Mahomes, and rightfully so. But Schuster and Tony stepping up was huge for the Chiefs. Can we give a shout-out to the offensive line? The previous two Super Bowls, Patrick Mahomes was treated like a ragdoll in both of them, even the one they won against the 49ers. He wasn't sacked once. Wasn't sacked once. Re-injures the ankle in the game, and the offensive line still protected him. Philly had the third most sacks of any team in NFL history. In NFL history. They couldn't touch Mahomes. That vaunted front seven that is absolutely nasty couldn't touch Mahomes. And Patrick, who doesn't need a ton of time to throw the football as it is, right? You don't have to give him a ton of time. He just needs, what, three seconds? (laughs) He had that all day long. The defensive touchdown was huge in this game. But those two guys stepping up for Mahomes, the two wide receivers, and the offensive line was phenomenal. I was not anticipating Kansas City's offensive line playing that way. And when he got hurt, I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, no. Because Philly's game plan was magnificent. Let's play keep away. Let's play keep away. They had, what, the longest drive play-wise in Super Bowl history? But you know what was key on that drive? They only got three. That 17-play drive only got them three points. And when that happened, I looked at my wife. I said, Kansas City's going to win. Because Andy Reid made the adjustments needed at halftime. You gave the Walrus more time to scheme up what they needed to do in the second half. And what did they do? They got the ball out a little bit quicker. And they they picked up the pace. Like the tempo was different for Kansas City's offense. And that got Philly off. Like Philly's defense was like, whoa. It was just enough, Dawson. It was it, it was just it was like a half second quicker, right? Uh, or, or a little bit of a second quicker. And in reality, it wasn't that much more time quicker. But it made all the difference in the world because they come down. They scored on every possession they had in the second half. Every possession. And Philly's defense had no answer. None. Reed figured out, if we go a little bit faster here, we can catch them off guard. That's exactly what they did. So credit Reed and Mahomes for changing it up. You knew he was going to play in the second half. You knew we weren't going to see Chad Henney. I'm sorry. It's the Super Bowl. Mahomes went out there and got the doctor special. Go ahead and take care of me. Quote, unquote, retape the leg, coach. I got this. And went out there. And when he had that run, when Philly couldn't, the Philadelphia linebackers couldn't track him down from behind. I was like, uh-oh. I was like, uh-oh. You've left the window open. Up-tempo in the second half. Mahomes made all the throws. 
Schuster and Tony came up huge because they needed to. And credit Kansas City's defense because Chris Jones in the first half was playing way too high. You could just see him. He was constantly too high, and Philly was able to get underneath him. They did a nice job of stopping Philly's run game, which was gashing him in the first half, in particular Hurts. Miles Sanders was not a factor in this game. Their running, their run game was no, nowhere to be found. If I would have told you, Dawson, that before the Super Bowl, that Kansas City would have been the team to have far more running rushing yards in this game than Philadelphia, you'd be, you said you're crazy. Mahomes had under 300 yards passing. He had under what 200 yards passing. It was absolutely a sensational performance in the second half. Perfect. It's absolutely perfect. 182, less than 200 yards passing. Philly Philly controls time of possession at half. They had more than 21 minutes time of possession. They kept Mahomes off the field. They're dominating time of possession. Hertz put on a phenomenal performance. With the exception of the fumble, he was nearly perfect. I mean, Jalen Hurts tied the Super Bowl record for rushing touchdowns in a game with Terrell Davis. Forget that he broke the record. He now has the record for most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback. He set the he tied the NFL record for most rushing touchdowns in a Super Bowl. He had over 300 yards passing. Led the team in rushing. And they lost. Give me your takeaways. Well, I actually took – I didn't take Mahomes as my player of the game in the gamer that I wrote. I actually took Nick Bolton because I, he was thought, a beast. I thought he was unreal. And a guy who you obviously haven't heard a whole lot about, hasn't been you know, uh, one of the guys in the headlines throughout the season, but was really their best defensive player by far. And, by far. You know, is a guy who plays kind of that hybrid role on their defense and was just making play after play. He, he scores the touchdown that I think changes the guy. I think – you talk about the different plays that took place in this game and you know holding penalties and this and that. That fumble return for touchdown changed this game because Philadelphia is up seven with a chance to drive down and, and extend that lead. And Kansas City didn't look particularly comfortable offensively in the first half outside of their not. first drive, which was scripted up well. But um, that play changed the game, and Bolton also led the you know led the game in tackles with nine. I thought he was all over the field, so he was you know a guy that. Really surprised me, so I gave him the nod over Mahomes um, on the player of the game, even though the MVP went to Mahomes. The other thing is the way Kansas City was able to run the football in the second half. The second half specifically uh, was impressive, and we knew Pacheco had a chance to make some plays, and he did. But also, you sit there and, and you say the the Chiefs' offensive line not only handled the front seven throughout the game and you know kind of minimized the risk, but then they warmed down and kind of dominated them in the second half. And you expected if when you were watching the game. Like I told my wife, I says, what worries me about this is that the Chiefs defense has been on the field for the entire first half. So if you're Philly, you're going to come out and you're going to lean on the run game. You're going to wear down that. You're going to keep eating clock. And then you're going to keep putting up touchdowns. Well, that didn't happen. Now, did the extended halftime, I think it immensely helped Kansas City because it gave its defense a rest. Plus, the offense got the ball to start the second half, right? But you can tell, we talked about coaching. 
the veteran coaches, the guy that this was his fourth Super Bowl as a head coach, right? He'd won one before as an assistant in Green Bay in Andy Reid. Veteran defensive coordinator as well. Veteran offensive coordinator. These guys have been there and have done that. You could tell the experience of being there and doing that played a huge role in this game because they made the adjustments and Philly didn't make didn't make the adjustments. And what's crazy is all we heard for two weeks was about Philly's D-line, how they had 10 guys that they rotate in. They're the deepest unit in the league and that they're going to wear down the Kansas City offensive line because they're going to keep bringing fresh bodies out there. And it really didn't matter who they had out there. Hassan Reddick didn't really make an impact. Brandon Graham didn't really make an impact. Reddick had the one play where he chased Mahomes out of bounds. Yeah. And that was it. I thought for sure he was going to be an X factor. They, he was not. That that front seven wasn't an X factor at all. At all. And so for the Kansas City offensive line, you'd have probably said going in, if we can just limit the pressure, maybe we give up a sack or two, but overall just kind of like allow Mahomes to have time, we'd probably consider it a win. And I think anything they thought they were going to get from the running game, in my opinion, was going to be a bonus. Now, maybe they had plans to run the football the whole time, but then they come away, they run for over 150 yards, and it's not like they ran the ball because they were up just putting the game away. They're, they're running the football to go win the game. And you didn't have Mahomes didn't have to be Superman. And I know no. I'm already ready for foot to come in and tell you that Mahomes didn't do anything and the defense carried him to the Super Bowl, but I thought the offensive Somebody's line— Somebody's got to make the throws. But. I thought the offensive line was outstanding, and you could have argued for them to be the you know the quote unquote players of the game. They were they were just they were better than I could have imagined, and they held up against Cincinnati pretty well in the championship game. You know, and and they <sighs> held up here. So how about that unit just kind of becoming one of the? Uh, and I'm going into next year. You're going to say, wow, maybe maybe Kansas City's offensive line is a big strength of this team moving forward. And the Chiefs had so many guys that are on rookie deals that are still going to be on rookie deals next year. By the way. And, and and think about this. And, you know, Kelsey talked about it and people complained a little bit about it. You know, Travis Kelsey, no one. And and I clapped back at a few people. No one had the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl in the preseason. It was all Bills and Bengals. Across the board. Every national f- football league reporter or talk show host, everyone said across the board, well, the Chiefs, you know, their window, they're going to have to do a slight rebuild because no Tyreek Hill. And the Bills, the Bills were the presumptive Super Bowl preseason favorite. And right behind them were the Bengals. Everyone thought it was going to be the Bills and the Bengals coming out of the AFC. Everyone. So, and I I mentioned to someone, and I go, here's the other thing about that. Kelsey's out there, and you don't like Travis Kelsey saying that. Well, no one thought. Great athletes, competitors, we've seen this. It was documented in the last dance, by the way fabricate narratives against them to motivate them. Tom Brady did it for 20 years. Michael Jordan does it. The great ones, the best competitors out there, find reasons to motivate them to another level that the normal athlete doesn't do. That's what separates them. So even though everyone expected Kansas City to be a factor, a lot of people had picked the Chargers to win that division, by the way, to be a factor, they use that as motivation. We got to take a timeout. More Super Bowl 57 recap coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, but listen, I'm at, I, you know this. Um, uh, we go way back. So um, I, I love Philadelphia. I love my time in Philadelphia. Um, phenomenal people. And we had some great years. Um, and, and so I, I, I left the organization on a positive note with Jeff Lurie and really everybody there. Um, so um, my, and there's still three of their real good players are still guys that I <clears throat> excuse me, that I had a chance to coach, and I'm so proud of them for the careers that they've had. So um, it's a great city. It's a great city, um, as is Kansas City. Been very fortunate, man. Very, very fortunate. It's got to be bittersweet for Andy. Obviously, he's happy because he won another Super Bowl, and now he's got the second ring after finally breaking through. But, I mean, I mean he was a great coach for the Eagles. For a long time. For a really long time. And they get to the one Super Bowl and lose a really close one to the Patriots. And and that was it, right? And he got he gets to multiple NFC championship games. Him and McNabb were really good. And then he did really good stuff with Michael Vick, who resurrected his career. I never thought during the time that I'd see Andy Reid anywhere else. Like it, he became one of those guys who were like he's always going to be the Eagles coach. And then they eventually decided to part ways. And look, it's paid off for both, right? Where the Eagles went on to Doug Peterson and he got them a Super Bowl and now Sirianni's got them to another Super Bowl. They didn't win last night, but at least they're, you know, they've gone to 2 in 5 years. And Andy went to Kansas City. And now has led him to 3 Super Bowls and a four-year stretch, right? It worked out for everyone. But there's still going to be some mixed emotions there, obviously, on some level. And for Reed, you know, he gets another Super Bowl, and he's got a really good quarterback. He does. And probably the best quarterback in the game right now. And Reed talked about what Patrick Mahomes means to him and what he brings to the table. Yeah, listen, he, he, grew, he grew up in a locker room. He's seen the greats, and he strives to be the greatest. I mean, without saying anything, that's the way he works. I mean, he wants to be the greatest player ever. That's, that's what he wants to do, and that's the way he goes about his business. And he does it humbly, you know? I mean, there's no bragging uh, he could stand up here and give you the, the, these stats that are incredible that he's had, but he never—he's never, never going to do that. That's just not him. And so uh, we appreciate—we appreciate that. And then when it's time for the guys around to raise their game, he helps them with that. He, he's one of these great—the great quarterbacks make everybody around him better, including the head coach. So he's—he's he's done a heck of a job. You know what Andy's always done really well. He's always known how to deal with quarterbacks and how to get the most out of his QBs. I mean, you look at his time at Philly, or even before then, he coached Brett Favre for a, a lot of years in Green Bay. 
Philly, McNabb, and then Vic. Kansas City, Alex Smith. We all forget about that. Actually, Coach Alex Smith to be in a pro bowler. And really, Kansas City's resurrection, if you will, was with Andy Reid and Alex Smith at quarterback. But you know what he does really well is with the QBs and being able to do that. And he had Vic on the same roster with McNabb. He had Mahomes. They drafted Mahomes when they still had Alex Smith at quarterback, and Mahomes was able to sit back and and kind of watch and learn, right? Not every coach can handle that because quarterbacks have big egos, right? He does a nice job of being able to maneuver that and find guys that he can coach and he can coach hard and that are going to be self-motivated because all those guys were. Mahomes, look, the the huge play for me was that scramble, the 26-yarder. That was huge in this game, for especially for him. And he talked about that long scramble and run in the second half. Yeah, yeah, no, what we, they did a good job of covering the guys that I wanted to throw to. Uh, that was the biggest thing. And I, I got going up upfield and uh, the, how the D-line rushed, it, it left the lane and I thought once I got out, I don't know if you could see me running, I felt like someone was just right on my back the entire time. I haven't seen the play, but I'm like holding the ball up here somewhere. Um, but uh, you, just, you just try to get in field goal range, man. And we have a, a great kicker, and you want to give him a chance to kick a field goal or score a touchdown. And um, we were able to get in that field goal range. Uh, we were smart at the end there, and he was able to kick the, the field goal to win the game. Great players step up in moments. That's what it always boils down to. In in any sport, football, basketball, baseball, great moments, great players seize the moment. And Mahomes did that last night, as did a lot of the Chiefs. Credit the offensive line yet again. Once again, Dawson and I talked about this to open up the show. As great as Mahomes was, and Bolton was great, as well. That scoop and score was phenomenal. He was an absolute beast. The offensive line with their quarterback hobbled, re-aggravating the ankle, you know, with the high ankle sprain, to have him to protect him and to keep running the football right at... It's not like they were doing trick plays. It's not like they were doing a bunch of sweeps. It was... Pachanko and McKinnon, go run the football. Ran right at Philly. Ran right at him. Running the football and playing defense. Amazing how that works. Still matters. Still matters. Mahomes, though, made sure to give some love and respect to the other signal caller in this game, Jalen Hurts, who put on a awesome performance. Yeah, I mean, if there was any doubters left, there there shouldn't be now. I mean, the way he stepped up on this stage um, and ran through the ball, whatever it took for his team to win, 
I mean, that was a special performance that I, I don't want to get. Lo- I don't want it to get lost in the in the the loss that they had. I mean, even in, whenever we got all the momentum in that game and and we went up eight points in the fourth quarter, for him to respond and move his team right down the football field and run it in himself for the two point conversion, it was a special performance by him, man. And uh, I mean, it, you make sure you appreciate that when you look back on this game. That was because you felt Kansas City had seized control, right, in that moment. And then they go right down, and he hits Devonta down the left sideline. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and then touchdown, two-point conversion, tight ball game. And you're like, we get entertainment. Like, that's what, it, you know, for me, I was like, this is this is what you want to see. You want to see two teams battle it, go back and forth, right? That, that's what we all, no one wants to see the blowout, unless it's your team blowing out the opponent. But if you don't have a dog in the fight, which we did not, you just want an entertaining game. And to see Hertz respond that way to lead the offense right down the field, and you're like, here we go. Here we go. This is going to come down to the last. And uh, great amount of kind of class there for Mahomes to give respect to Hertz and make sure to point out his tremendous performance. Travis Kelsey, we talked about. He was going to get his, but we talked about it. he really wasn't all that much of a factor. He had three catches in the second half. They were able to go to other guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Tony, but they definitely made halftime adjustments. And Travis was asked, what was the message to the guys in the locker room at halftime? Let's go be ourselves. Let's go out there and be ourselves. Play with a little more fire. That was, that was essentially the uh, the end of the discussion right there. It was just play some play with more fire for the guy next to you. It's never a, it's never a battle of want. Everybody wants it, man. It's the ones that can that can bring that energy and, and bring the focus to be able to finish. And uh, that's what you saw out of us today. Uh, that's it was a great game, and saw some great performances and a wildly entertaining game. Super Bowl Fifty Seven, which the Chiefs win. Over the Philadelphia Eagles. A poll question of the day. What was Kansas City's most important play in yesterday's Super Bowl? Was it Mahomes' 26-yard run? Was it Bolton's scoop and score? Was it Tony's 65-yard punt return, which was that was huge? Or was it other? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments. I already see all of your zebra comments, JPK, the OD. By the way, we'll get to that because the young man who was called for defensive holding actually admitted afterwards that, yes, he was holding the wide receiver just like to point that out did he actually said yeah I was hoping they wouldn't look there you go that's done <laughs> for right now leading the vote Bolton scoop and score 37 percent 32 percent of you taste Tony's 65 yard punt return 20 percent say other 11 percent say Mahomes is 26 yard run keep those votes coming keep those comments coming as we'll share them throughout today's show This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. 
or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Controversial calls being called in games, in particular NFL games, and everyone complaining about them has become, well, just part of the game, I guess. I don't love it. really don't because there's bad calls that are called in every single game that's ever been played in NFL history, by the way. First of all, they never called holding as much as they should. Done. It's <laughs> Just Done. Done. I can watch probably every play and go, that's a hold, and it doesn't get called. So there's missed calls in every single game. And people were up in arms last night during the broadcast on the James Bradbury holding call. Here's the thing. Would I have liked them not to throw the flag in that moment? Would I have liked them just to let it play out? Sure, I would. Absolutely. But here's the deal. The kid held. He held him not once but twice. You can't grab the wide receiver's jersey in the first 10. Like, you can't do that. They call it all the time. All the time. And people were livid. And and, and Greg Olson, who I thought did a very nice job in his first Super Bowl for Fox, I, I thought he did an excellent job. I thought he flamed the fire a little bit by saying with his commentary there, and it didn't help things, even so much so that you had someone like the you know broadcaster of the year for the state of Texas, Houston Astros play-by-play man Robert Ford, be critical of it because you're not giving any analysis. You're just reacting. <clears throat> Olsen didn't help matters much. But at the end of the day, it was a hold. He grabbed the jersey, and he did it twice. There's video evidence and photographic evidence of it. And here's the other thing, Dawson. James Bradbury afterwards was asked about it. And you know what he said? Quote, I pulled on his jersey. They called it. I was hoping they would let it ride. He admitted that he was trying. His man got by him, and he held him. He did a reactionary thing, which a lot of DBs do, especially in a big moment. They, they were like, I don't want to give I don't want to give up the touchdown. I don't want to give up the touchdown. And your instinct is to do what you've always done and grab the guy. And that's what he did. And he did it not once but twice. He admitted it afterwards. No conspiracy theory. Sorry, sorry, tin hat wearers. I understand that destroys your narrative that the NFL and the term that I keep hearing these days now, Dawson, you'll have to explain this to me. The the script, they're scripting everything which is, I guess, a way of alluding to they're planning it all out. They're manipulating everything, right? That's Yeah, what the, well, okay. I'll share with you. Okay. It was, I believe, Arian Foster was on a podcast uh, last week and made, obviously, a satirical comment that he gets a script. That, you know, when he was in the league, he got a script every every before every season, told him everything that was going to play out. So, obviously, the Internet took that and ran with it. But the problem is I feel like there's a lot of people that don't think it was satire, and they're like, no, Correct. this is true. No, 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 yeah, yes. So yes. that's where you get a lot of that. But look, this call, 
I, I couldn't believe the Saints fans that got on Twitter last night and were comparing this to what happened to the Saints. This is not even in the same ballpark. This was a correctly called penalty. Was it ticky-tack? Absolutely. Would I have also preferred for it not, have, not to have been called and let this game play out? Usually you like to let guys you know, play it out in the Correct. fourth quarter anyway. Kind of, you know, it's going to have to be more egregious. But this was a penalty by the rule. By, you know, if you had one of those rules analysts come in, they would say, yeah, this is a holding penalty. It was correctly called. Mike Pereira on the broadcast said it was a defensive hold call. Yeah, it's restriction of the receiver and it's a hold. And the, and to make things, you know, sometimes you'll really get away with it if the ball goes to the other side of the field, right? But the ball went to that side. That was the intended receiver of the play. Like, it was a hold. And so... I, it, yeah, it sucks that we didn't get, like, we could have gotten one of those great endings where maybe Jalen Hurts comes back down and either ties it up, maybe even takes the lead for the Eagles and then overtime, something like that. That would have been great. I understand that. But the Eagles lost this game. There's no, there's not even a remote comparison to what happened in the NFC Championship game with None. what happened last night. None. This was a ticky-tack call, but it was still even the right call by the rules. This wasn't even close. So I, the, I didn't understand that narrative at one This day. is not the no-low-no call. This is not the Des Bryant no-catch. Okay, which was a terrible call as well, by the way. I did think the NFL is still struggling with what is a catch, though, right? And we saw that yeah. last night where, and look, I struggle to understand what a catch is and what a catch isn't because it's not consistent. Right, that that's the problem we have, and they keep tweaking the rules over and over and over again, and over and over and over again. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. You know, my wife goes, "Why isn't that a catch? Why would?" And and I go, "I I can't really tell you why. Like I can't tell you why. Like the Devontae Smith catch, where he caught it on the side of the helmet, and he got two feet in, and he falls out of bounds. But when he falls out of bounds, he hits the ground, and the ball moves a little bit." because it's up against his helmet and they said that was not a catch and 20 years ago 30 years ago 40 years ago that would be a catch all day long because he got two feet in bounds and he had the ball so it, it's it's those things it's like she was like well why does the ground i said <laughs> it just it, well she, she goes he caught the ball right i said yes and he's his feet were in bounds yes and i go yes and she goes so why isn't it a catch and i go because the NFL has decided to, you have to make a move throughout. Like it's a weird thing, and not every crew is the same. That's the other part of this: is that not every officiating crew calls that the same. I didn't. I didn't have any problems with any of the catch decisions last night, and I I I definitely understand. And my dad was the same way last night, kind of talking about I don't understand what the catch rule is. Right. And he's a guy who watches a ton of football. It's not like it's a cat. But I do understand it there, especially there's a lot of people who watch Super Bowl who don't necessarily watch all year. Correct. So there's a lot of confusion there where it comes yes. in where people are going, I don't really understand that. I thought the Devontae Smith one was correct. I didn't think he survived the process of the catch. And I know that sounds like ridiculous language that people like to nitpick. It but is. that's been <laughs> it is surviving right. the process of the catch has been something that the NFL's been pretty consistent about. And I felt Since the like the Calvin Johnson catch against the Bears. Yes. I've I've become now pretty confident in what's going to be ruled a catch or not now there's still some that go the other way but last night I didn't have any problems the other the one Goddard catch you didn't think was I thought that was like he caught it and then he had to catch it a second time but they but he but he but he did I think he has possession when that foot first when the foot's still on the ground the left foot then he gets the right foot in I thought it was a catch the one and then the other one that people is the swing pass that was the second potential fumble return touchdown 
And the problem there is people watching in slow motion, and that's when you really get yourself in trouble. Correct. You have to understand that, yes, in slow motion, everything's going to look like a catch because you have time for it to look like a catch. If you watch the play in real time, he never really has possession. But he didn't make a football move. Right. And he He caught the ball. He caught the ball. But you got to catch the ball and then make a football move. And I I actually got up out of my recliner. This is so funny. I got up out of my recliner, and my wife's like, okay, why isn't that... What that looks like that should be a fault like that that should be you know I go because he didn't make a football move and she goes well what is what do you mean exactly by that I said okay he ca- I got up I says he catches the ball then he's got to make make a step like he's got to and he never did right he he never did so you gotta so the NFL does a very poor job of explaining things right and you're right so many more people watch the Super Bowl and they go I don't understand right and you're right about the slow mo. Uh, you know, because in real time, it's bang, bang, right? So I, I thought the officiating for the most part was good. I, I I agree with you. Once again, I didn't have a dog in the fight. I didn't even put money on the game. I thought the officiating was, for the most part, pretty clean. I, I thought they did a nice job. And, like, I, I, I'm I the first one to say, look, I'm not going to be a, an official's defender for the most part. I think the NFL, when they sit there and say officiating is as good as it's ever been and stuff, I don't agree with that. Oh, no, I think there's some no. things that obviously could change. Sky officials to correct obvious errors, I think, like, is a must. Like, all these things go into account. But, yeah, like, it's at the end of the day, it's a sport that's created with a bunch of subjective calls. And Foot talks about this all the time. Like, there are calls, no matter what the calls were on any of those plays, there would have been people complaining, but that's the nature of it. Like some of these calls are just tough to make. And I thought for the most part, they were, they were pretty much right. And while, yeah, you can say that call impacted the game. It was not the decider of the game. It was not anything. And and again, at the end of the day, it was correctly called. So I don't think anything can really be said about that. Correct. Cause there's no guarantee that they wouldn't have been able to get the field goal from that length. There's no guarantee of that that would have happened or would not have happened, rather. So I, I get it. I get it. People want to, you know, just I get it. I've been immensely critical of the officiating, but I thought they clean, I thought they called a for the most part a pretty clean game. I, I just and once again, it was defensive holding. He grabbed the jersey. You can't grab the other guy's jersey. You just can't do it. We gotta take a timeout. When we return. We'll share your thoughts on our poll question of the day. We'll update that and close out hour number one as we talk Super Bowl 57 here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What was Kansas City's most important play in yesterday's Super Bowl? 41% of you say Bolton's scoop and score. 33% say Tony's 65-yard punt return, the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, which is crazy. 15% say other. 11% of you say Mahomes' 26-yard run. Let's get to some comments. JPK the OD says, I will not be ignored. (laughs) 
and sharing a gif of a ref with 1,800 bazillion flags on the play. And then he also shared another gif. I'm not going to be ignored, of course, as Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction. Salty Steve says the scoop and score swung the momentum in the Chiefs' favor. The Eagles were never the same. Eagles D didn't show up after halftime. Didn't hurt either. Great game. Ralph says, and Dr. Feelgood's miracle ankle elixir for Mahomes at halftime. <laughs> well, yeah. Now that Patrick has two rings and is only 27, expect TB12 to unretire any day now. Ton on Twitter says, most important play was all of them. They performed that script well. Kidding aside, the biggest contrib- uh, contributing factor last night was that Mahomes was never really made uncomfortable in the second half, while Hertz had to play like a maniac to try to keep Philly's spark going. They did pressure him better in the second half, Kansas City's defense. Made a big, big difference there. And John Paul says, oh, with most of us here being Saints fans, you know it was the Phantom Pass Interference call on a third down game tied and with under two minutes to go. They just love it. This love it. Todd then replies to John Paul says, this ain't it, man. He even admitted he had the receiver's jersey. But I will use Gen Z thinking, says John Paul. The truth is not what matters. What my opinion is more important than what is true. I really don't believe the statement I just made. (laughs) So John Paul's having a little fun, as expected. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number one is in the books. Spent the entire hour recapping, discussing, breaking down Super Bowl 57 as the Chiefs win their second Super Bowl title in four years. Mahomes now has two rings. Andy Reid now has two rings. Travis Kelsey has two rings. And by the way, they had to do it with a lot of young guys this year. If I'm a quarterback, free agent, I am leaving the AFC. <laughs> if I'm Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, I'm heading to the NFC because you got Mahomes, you got Josh Allen, you got Joe Burrow, you got the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals, and they're not going anywhere. Ooh, that's tough. It's just tough with those three teams. I'd be heading to the NFC. We'll talk more Super Bowl 57 coming up. We'll also get to the weekend on the hardwood. It was not a good one for the majority of Louisiana-based teams, except for the McNeese men. Shout out to the Cowboys. We'll get to all that in hour number two. That's next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Kansas City takes down Philadelphia on a last-second field goal to win Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona at State Farm Stadium. Chiefs have now won the Super Bowl twice in a four-year stretch. Been to three of them in a four-year stretch and winning two of them. And in both occasions, they came back to win the game. 
down by double digits both times against the 49ers in Super Bowl 54. They were down by double digits, came back, won that ball game. That, of course, Mahomes put together the tremendous fourth quarter performance where he led the Chiefs on three touchdown drives. And then last night, down by double digits yet again, and the Chiefs find a way. Mahomes was special. And here's the difference what we saw last night as compared to the previous two Super Bowls. The previous two Super Bowls, Patrick Mahomes was sacked a total of seven times and pressured far more. He also had four interceptions in those two games, two in each. Last night, wasn't sacked one time, didn't commit a turnover. There you go. I I, I talked about it on my new web series on YouTube, RP3's Three Things. Mahomes had been an average quarterback in the previous two Super Bowls with the exception of that fourth quarter against the 49ers. He was going to be an X factor. If he played well, they were going to have a chance to win. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. But he was able to play well, even on the bum ankle, because the offensive line did their job. We, we talk about this over and over again, Dawson, and, and I, I we forget about the line of scrimmage. We always forget about it. We are, we are fantasy football-centric way of thinking when it comes to professional football. It's all about quarterbacks and wide receivers. All about quarterbacks and wide receivers. You still win games based on what you do up front. Kansas City lost a Super Bowl to Tampa Bay because they couldn't block. Because Pat Mahomes was trying to complete passes while being horizontal, parallel with the turf. They crushed him. Devin White and company in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55, absolutely crushed Kansas City's offensive line. And guess what? The league MVP, one of the best quarterbacks in the game, couldn't do his job and didn't even lead them to a touchdown drive in that Super Bowl. That's how Super Bowl 55 went down. Offensive line protected. Not only protected Patrick Mahomes, but also allowed the Chiefs to run the football effectively. And guess what happened? We forget about it, Dawson, all the time. But if the guys up front don't do their job, you won't be able to do yours. That's how football is built. You have to have at least competent offensive line play for everything else to work. If you don't have that, the quarterback can't do his job. The wide receivers can't do their job. The running backs can't do their job, period. It's all starts up front. And Kansas City, who on paper and heading into that game, was the lesser of the two lines of scrimmage. Philly had all the depth. Philly had the third most sacks of all time in NFL history. They were an absolute nasty, dominant front seven. They didn't touch Mahomes at all. That matters. Line of scrimmage. Kansas City won it last night. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on halftime to the show. Halftime, good morning, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? I just got a couple of things. Won't be long. Uh, good morning to you guys as well. Uh, I, I don't think I can say exactly the affiliate. I'm going to just say that I noticed watching. I heard you guys earlier talking about officiating. 
I noticed watching, you know, football games on the different TV stations, all I can say is the one that has Mike Pereira always explaining what's going on is the best. It, 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 as far as for making you understand what is going on when you look at the um, at the the replay of things, and I love it when Mike Pereira is in charge. All the other, all the other guys, sometimes I'm lost, but when Mike Pereira does it, he does a good job of explaining what's going on and what the refs are looking at. Uh, number two, I was just listening to what you were saying as far as for like the line of scrimmage and stuff. I always do after big championship games. I love looking at different. Uh, I'm not going to spoil podcasts and interviews and all the different things they have. And one of the things they were saying that um, that I started thinking about afterwards, if you look at it, to me, coaching had a lot to do with it on the, in the second half. Jalen Hurst didn't do anything wrong, but they really didn't do in the second half what got him there, and that's run the ball. And I didn't even realize, just watching the game, Philly did try to run the ball, but they couldn't run it as effectively. It was more effective throwing the ball. And even though they got a lot of yards and they, you know, did good and made touchdowns, just that didn't help them win the game. Running the ball is what got them there with Jalen Hurst running and the uh, other receivers running. Uh, I mean, uh, running backs running. And the crazy thing was, if you looked in the second half, and well, Mahomes, I didn't realize that Mahomes only had the ball like three times, I think, in the first half. Second half, you see they established the run. They started running the ball. Everybody knew Mahomes for all the trick plays and throwing the ball, which he did do. But the most effective thing I think they did in the second half was, uh, I can't pronounce his name right, Pacheco or whatever, that guy ran that ball in the second half. So it's little things like that that I don't think you talked about and you, you look at all the other stuff, but I think it's little things like that. That's what made the difference. Everybody's looking at that little one call that was made. To me, that was the difference. It was coaching. All right, guys, you have a good one. Halftime, appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day. And look, and let's get to that. Philly is known for being a running team. And their approach was smart passing to Brown and Smith. AJ got that touchdown. By the way, that was an absolute dime thrown by Hertz. I do believe a certain producer texted the group chat and said, shoulder looks fine. (laughs) You are correct. He threw that perfectly. And he had good connection with Smith, who had, by the way, 100 yards receiving in this game, seven catches. A.J. Brown nearly had 100 yards receiving as well, six catches for 96 yards in that 45-yard touchdown. Hertz ran the ball 15 times for 70 yards. Sanders and Gainwell combined for only 14 carries and 37 yards rushing. Yeah, 17 and 45, even if you count Boston Scott. So the three running backs for Philadelphia, less than three yards a carry, they just didn't have much. You didn't utilize your run game. They got into a rhythm because what happened in the first half, because Hertz was able to make plays and they were able to utilize that. You tired out Kansas City's defense. And you just kind of went away from your running backs. Look, Hertz was phenomenal with the exception of the fumble, which was a scoop and score. 27 to 38, 304 yards, one touchdown, no picks. And he led the team with 70 yards on the ground with 15 carries, three touchdowns. 
that ties a Super Bowl record set by Terrell Davis, by the way, who was a running back. But you went away from your run game. Like, you went away from what got you to the party, right, as they like to say. They leaned on, and Hurts was part of their run game all season long. But Gainwell, Sanders, and Scott, they leaned on them all throughout the season. I don't think anyone saw Kansas City being able to run the football better and for more yardage than Philly did. I don't think anybody saw that. And they ran the ball less. Had 158 yards. They only did so in 26 carries. They averaged 6.1 yards a pop. Kansas City did. Like, they just went right after him. Phenomenal performance. Once again, Patrick Mahomes had less than 200 yards passing. The winning quarterback, if I would have told you beforehand, before the game, hey, winning quarterback's going to have less than 200 yards passing, and the winning team is going to outrush the other team by nearly 40 yards. You'd say, oh, that's Philly. Right? You would have said, that's Philly. That sounds like Philly's game plan to win the ballgame. Instead, Philly had the quarterback who threw for 300 yards. <laughs> it was They flipped. It was kind of interesting. But to halftime's point, Dawson, Kansas City made the adjustments in the second half. They turned not having the time of possession – having their defense be tired, limiting Patrick Mahomes only having, what, three drives in the entire first half? Because remember, they they got the scoop and score, so that's not a possession for the offense. And they flipped that because they were able to score. Touchdown, touchdown, like that. And all of a sudden, now Philly's down, just like that. And they went because they went with tempo, because their offensive line was winning the point of attack. Now, credit Philly's offensive line, especially on those third down, fourth down conversions. Kelsey leading the way, how he gets so low on the ground and still is able to push a massive 300-pound defensive lineman the way he does. It's why the guy's an all-pro. But they couldn't stop the quarterback sneak. Like, Kansas City could not stop the quarterback sneak. But it didn't matter because Kansas City was able to flip it on its head like that. Absolutely. And so I'm already kind of preparing for what I'm going to have to argue with foot about later, but Mahomes. <laughs> Here it comes. And I know that, and again, from people will look at the count stats and the yardage stats and say, oh, Mahomes didn't have this, you know, this type of game and that type of game. And I'm not saying that total QBR is a perfect metric. It's obviously not. No metric is. But total QBR, which is, uh, you know, an opponently, opponent-adjusted efficiency metric that measures quarterback play or attempts to at least, goes from 0 to 100. Mahomes' total QBR last night was 96.4. There you go. So by that metric, he couldn't have played much better. And, you know, even Jalen Hurts, who was great, his was 79.7. That just kind of shows you, uh, you know, when you when you dig a little bit deeper, Mahomes was pretty special last night, especially given the circumstances and, and what he had against him. Mahomes is now 14-10 and 10 when his team falls behind by 10 or more points. No other quarterback has a winning percentage more than 37% since 1950. So that kind of just tells you a little bit about that. And, and once again, the Chiefs in the second half, Dawson, zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero punts, zero sacks allowed. 
They only had one incompletion, and that was a throwaway. That is a near-perfect second half of football. That's why they won the game. They made the adjustments and came out and played their best half of the entire season when it mattered the most. That's what they did. That's what they did. By the way, Mahomes also puts a bit of a streak of an end. He becomes the first NFL MVP since Kurt Warner in 1999 to win the Super Bowl in the same season. Winning the MVP has been the kiss of death. <laughs> you win the MVP last 20 plus years, you win the MVP and you play in the Super Bowl, eh, you're going to lose. Mahomes becomes the first person since Kurt Warner in 1999, the greatest show on turf team. And also, just to point out quickly, I think there there weren't any doubts for me, but I know some people still kind of brought up Andy Reid's performance in big games and the fact that the offense didn't play great in the last Super Bowl win against San Francisco. Andy Reid cements his legacy to me as an all timer. Uh, you know, like he's got two. Up, yep, up near the top, and I thought he was. And you talk about that. First of all, all those stats were indi- indicative of a well coached team. Didn't commit any penalties. Didn't allow any sacks. All those things they did. Um, and his game plan and his offensive play calling in the second half was absolutely dynamic. And the game plan that he and Eric Bieniemy put together to kind of counter some of the issues they had in the first half, the commitment to running the football, um, and Mahomes' execution of it, those three guys, they were unbelievable in the second half. Again, Kansas City scores on every single possession. A touchdown on all but the last one, and obviously they could have scored a touchdown there if they wanted to. They chose not to in order to run some clock and end up kicking the field goal. Uh, it was a master class, and I think kind of cements Andy Reid, in which right now looks like maybe he's coming back and still going to run this back, but even if he, he walked said, away tomorrow. He, he he said he's going to come back if they want him. He is tor- he is near the end, though, right, with, with the career. By the way, teams leading by double digits at halftime, which the Eagles did, are 26-1 and one in Super Bowl history. The lone loss was the Falcons in Super Bowl when they led by 18. So now the Eagles join the Dirty Birds with the distinction of leading by double digits at halftime. Typically, that means game over. By the way, most rushing yards by a quarterback in Super Bowl history. Jalen Hurts, 70. Second on that list, Steve McNair with 64. Third on the list, Colin Kaepernick with 62. You know what all three men have in common? They all lost. They all lost. Just saying, they were, and once again, just more. Chiefs were down 10 points to the 49ers, won the Super Bowl in 2019. Chiefs down by 10 points to the Eagles, they win the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs had the ball four times in the first half last night. Four times. They scored seven points, their offense. They had the ball four times in the second half and scored 31 points. That is coaching. That is coaching. We talk about it all the time. That is coaching. Philly was outcoached in the second half. The veteran coaches that have been there, have won a Super Bowl, have lost a Super Bowl, and understand how to take advantage of the extra time you're allowed during halftime because Riri put on a show and announced to the world that she was pregnant again. That matters. Coaching matters, and it showed up again last night. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, Derek Carr, is he coming into New Orleans? We'll discuss that because some news broke over the weekend that puts that in doubt. 
We'll discuss it next right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Saints wined and dined Derek Carr, the Pro Bowl quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. We talked about it a lot last week. The Raiders granted the Saints permission to talk to their franchise quarterback who they want to move on from. Big contract number, right? Big cap hit. They actually benched him late in the season, went with Jarrett Stedham. Woof. But the Saints obviously... We're interested. And they had a at least a rough draft of something in place, right? Because that's how you're allowed to have permission to even talk to someone about a possible trade. And apparently, Derek Carr and family was in for a couple days. They wined and dined. But then the news came out yesterday. Saints and Raiders had the framework of a trade in place for Derek Carr, but his contract, which would be fully guaranteed him $40.4 million as of 4 p.m. this Tuesday, was an issue. Carr's no-trade clause gave him the power to veto any deal and effectively force his release, which he has done. Carr has informed the Raiders that he will not accept a trade to the Saints or any other team for that matter. The team is expected now to release him, and he'll be a top free agent. Now, what do we make of this? If you're Derek Carr, you're not doing the Raiders any favors. As much as you may want to come and play for the Saints, and he may still sign with the Saints. This is the team that has put you through the ringer. Let's be honest. The Raiders have been a mess. Carr's entire time there, with the exception of a couple of good years under Jack Del Rio. They've gone through head coach after head coach after head coach after head coach, coordinator, 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 chaos, 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 chaos. I thought John Gruden possibly broke him. (laughs) I still still have questions whether or not Carr can be fixed. Wouldn't be the first player Chucky has broken. But if you're Derek Carr, you're going to tell the Raiders, nah, I ain't helping you out, bro. I ain't doing that. You want to move on from me? You want to get rid of me? You've kind of treated me poorly this whole time, but the way that you've treated me and have really treated your own organization, why should I do you a solid? You want to cut me? You cut me, and you get to deal with the salary cap hit, and I still get a portion of that payment because of the way the contract is signed, and then I can go sign with whoever I want to, however I want to. Sorry. Now, do I still think the Saints are the front runners here? Yes. Because now you're not going to have to worry about the $40 million contract, Dawson. Because 
The Raiders are going to be forced to cut him, which means the Raiders are going to have to deal with the dead cap space for themselves. Derek will still get his money, and now Carr can say, you know what? I want to go sign a one-year deal or a two-year deal or a three-year deal with whatever team I want to. I can negotiate a different price point. No one's going to give him $40 million a year. It's just not going to happen. And I think Derek knows that. But now he gets to pick and choose where he wants to go to. And apparently, the meetings, two days' worth of meetings with the Saints went really well. So the Saints could still sign him, but they're just going to have to be able to do it as a free agent. I'm a little less optimistic because... And again, it, it does make sense. Now, I don't know. We kind of joke. I don't know if the league would have something to say about this if it kind of turns out that he kind of made a handshake agreement with the Saints to like force his way <laughs> and into the Saints being didn't have to give and, up a pick. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's allowed. I, I don't know the, you know the inner workings of the NFL and the tampering rules are always confusing. But uh, since he was allowed to speak with them, I guess, I mean, contracts had to be on the table there Correct. as an allowed. So, you know, who knows? But. The issue for me now is he's going into unrestricted free agency, and the Saints are obviously not going to be the team that has the ability to offer him the biggest contract. And you say he's not going to get $40 million, but he might get an offer close to it because that's how desperate a lot of these teams are, and some of these teams have a lot of money to spend. Would the Jets They're certainly offer him a huge contract to get him in the house? Definitely possible. And so now, again, when you talk about actually Brady's retirement kind of hurting the Saints in a way, this is where it really plays in because – one of these teams that has the big money and was available to sign him, maybe threw Brady a big contract. Well, now that's one less option on the table. So if Aaron Rodgers comes out of his dark hiding place and also retires, then you really start to go, Derek Carr's value continues to rise because he's one of the better guy options on the free agent market. Whether he's worth $40 million or not, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, the market will demand. dictate, right. The market will dictate the price. It always does. You're exactly correct on that, on that front. And... On top of that, he's going to be the most prized quarterback on the market, even more so than Jimmy G. So both he and Garoppolo are going to be unrestricted free agents. Baltimore's not letting Lamar Jackson leave town. They will ductate him to a chair. They're not going to let him. I'm sorry. Jets fans have it in their head that they're going to be able to get Lamar. I don't see it. I just don't see Baltimore allowing that to happen. They're going to do that weird franchise tag distinction that will essentially cost any team, you know, what, three first-round picks or something crazy to be able to get them. So I don't think Lamar's a factor. I really don't. I'd be surprised if Baltimore lets him go, which means Garoppolo and Derek Carr are going to be overpaid because people are like, okay, whether you're in, whether you're looking to go get yourself a guy that's going to be a bridge quarterback because you want to draft a guy, or if you're looking saying, like if you're the Jets and you go, we're a quarterback away. Because it does feel like the Jets are a quarterback away. They have everything else. They have the defense. They got playmakers on offense. They just need a competent quarterback who they did not have on the roster, whether it was Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco. They don't have that guy. You had a Jimmy G or Derek Carr. Even though they're not elite quarterbacks, because they're not, they're probably not even second-tier guys. They're probably really good third-tier quarterbacks. Okay, someone's going to overpay for them. And you and I are actually in agreement. I'm not saying that this eliminates the Saints, but now it makes it immensely difficult because you're going to have other suitors like the Jets that are going to be out there. Every team in the NFC South needs a quarterback. You telling me that the Panthers or the Falcons wouldn't back up the Brinks truck for one of those guys? Yeah, they're going to. 
and so I mean I'll make this quick. I know we don't have a whole lot of time on this, but he essentially you're what you're asking Derek Carr to do now is take a team friendly discounted deal to come play for the Saints. <sighs> and look, it's not like the Saints are the gonna you know he's gonna step in and they're gonna be the favorites. Like this is this is a decent roster. Maybe it's got a chance, but it's not like. You know, this isn't Drew Brees at the back end taking a team-friendly deal because he knows the roster's loaded and he's trying to go chase a ring. Nope. So, now, maybe Derek Carr is inclined to take less money because he's already made a ton and he's getting, you know, up there as far as your prime at 32. So, maybe he's willing to take a team-friendly deal, but I just I, I have a feeling that you're going to get the free agency and maybe even, again, maybe right now it is his plan to do that. But all of a sudden, you get a bunch of three or four huge offers in front of you and you're saying, so wait, I'm going to take how much less to go play in New Orleans with a you know not ready to go championship roster? I don't know if that's what he's going to do. What are you going to do if one of these other teams says, "Hey, we're going to offer you a three-year deal with a fourth-year option for a hundred million dollars"? You think he's going to turn that down? I he just not great news for the Saints over the weekend. <laughs> not not optimal. Not optimal. Not the worst news to come out of New Orleans. We'll get to you, Pelicans. But right now, we've got to take a timeout. When we return, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us. LSU women, that got roughed up a bit yesterday by South Carolina. The bar of where they need to be, we found out LSU's not quite there yet. We'll talk about that as well as the men continuing losing games. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, it was a rough weekend for the LSU Tigers. The men, well, they keep doing what they do best. That's lose ball games. The women, they got punched in the mouth by South Carolina in the first quarter and never were able to really recover. They clawed back. They, they, they made it a little bit more of a competitive game. But the level that the Gamecocks are on is not the level that the Tigers are on. Not yet. And Kim Mulkey knows her team needs to do more work, and they're going to have to hit the recruiting trail a little bit harder to get to that level where South Carolina is clearly the best team in the country by a country mile. To talk about that is the man who co-hosts Tiger Rag Radio, which you can listen to on Tuesdays right here on the game. Our friend Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, bud. I'm feeling good. I got to watch an entertaining Super Bowl. I didn't have a dog in the fight, so that was nice. And I, yeah. wa- I wisely didn't put any money on the game, so that's even better. <laughs> there you go. Just there you go. Your your wallet is. Uh, you still got. You still got some money to work with in that wallet. I mean, not a lot, but yes. I thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so let's uh, let, let's start with the women because uh, look, I wasn't totally surprised that South Carolina was the better team. I just wasn't because. 
they are the defending national champs. They are the bar for women's college basketball right now. They are that. And when they had already defeated Stanford on the road and defeated Maryland and defeated UConn, they've been battle-tested. LSU had not played anyone on that level yet. And the Gamecocks punched the Tigers in the mouth right off the bat and set the tone. And Kim Mulkey's team was able to kind of rally a little bit, but it wasn't nearly enough. No, it wasn't. And that was really the what happened there in the first quarter was what you were kind of worried about, right? I mean, 18,000 fans, that place, Colonial Life Arena, was just absolutely jumping right before tip-off. And as Kim Mulkey said, they didn't even line up LSU correctly for the opening tip-off. So the game gets off to a bad start. That's a sign that uh, uh, just the environment around them, that was something that LSU was not accustomed to. I mean, they obviously played in front of a, a big crowd in, in front of the Maravich Center when they uh, played Tennessee a couple weeks ago. But this is different, obviously, when you're the visitors and everybody's rooting against you or most everybody's rooting against you. So I think the environment got to them a little bit, but – I think it's a it's a it's a learning lesson for this team, and now they now they see. And I was not expecting them to go in to uh, South Carolina and win. I still feel, uh, Raymond, this is the first of three matchups between these two teams. I, I still think LSU is. I think they're going to meet again in the SEC tournament, and I think LSU is good enough to get to the Final Four. Now I think. Uh, that loss, I, I think it gives an idea of where they where they need to get to. Now, I, I don't know if LSU can beat South Carolina in any of these future matchups. They they probably can't, but uh, I think LSU is certainly is certainly good enough to get into the Final Four, despite what you ha- what happened Sunday. And all you have to do is just try to take that game as a positive. But I also agree with Kim Mulkey. They can't allow what happened Sunday to impact them on Thursday night against Ole Miss or when they go to Gainesville this Sunday. You know, Angel Reese's double-double streak comes to an end. She had 16 points, but you could tell that Dawn Staley was not going to let Angel Reese beat them, right? Like, it, that that was apparent from jump. Now, she still got 16 points, but it was 5 of 15, and every shot was a tough one for her, right? It was There was no easy buckets in this ball game, and she actually got six of her points at the free throw line. They were physical with her. They made it difficult. Uh, is that is that a winning game plan for other teams as well to maybe get a little physical with Angel Reese and kind of take her out of her game? Well, I don't know if other teams have the type of players that South Carolina has <laughs> that can that can make life tough on Angel Reese. I mean, no, no other team has a, an Aaliyah Boston on there. No. Nobody has a uh, Camelia uh, Cardoso, who was outstanding off the bench. She had a double-double in the game. Uh, so that I, I think that's kind of the, the issue, um, is that South, that's just how good South Carolina is. That's just how good their talent is. Uh, Kim Mulkey talked a lot um, prior to the game about the concern that she had that just South Carolina was a bigger team than her team, and it was reflected on what happened in the re- uh, in the rebounding margin. I mean, LSU is a team that out-rebounds everyone, uh, and they ended up getting out-rebounded by 18 in the game, uh, giving up 14 offensive rebounds to South Carolina. And I think 
you know, that's uh, I think a potentially, um, you know, that's that that's obviously a big story in what happened is what South Carolina can do down low, and then what South Carolina can bring off the bench. I mean, their their reserves are, you know, they they can put together a, a starting five out of that group and that group would be competitive in the SEC. So um, I, I think that's kind of where it all happens. It also doesn't hurt that – it also hurt that Angel Reese picks up the two fouls in the first quarter. Yeah. And then obviously that just kind of limits her her ability to be, uh, you know, physical back with uh, the South Carolina team. Jeff, they get to dust themselves off now and, and Ole Miss comes to town Thursday night. So they're going to have to be refocused. But now that we've seen them play elite competition for really the first time this season, uh, Morse, I thought, played well. Uh, Angel Reese, despite the foul trouble, she did okay. What's the one thing that you see from this team? And I know it's just the one loss, but it's against elite competition. What's the one thing that you think Kim Mulkey is going to make her team work on? Is it finding that third scoring option? Is, is that it? Yeah, I, I think they're they've been really reliant here the last couple of weeks, really, on just uh, Alexis Morris and Angel Reese. And Morris, I thought, was fantastic in the game yesterday. I mean, yeah. she, she's the only reason why I thought you know LSU even had a chance there. I mean, they were only down by nine or actually ten at halftime, and a big part of it was the shots that Alexis Morris hit. Uh, but they're, you know, Jasmine Carson has been very quiet here lately. She only scored four points yesterday. Uh, Ladesia Williams, who's uh, capable of, or she's capable of getting close to double doubles or, you know, get, averaging something like that. Uh, she didn't get much from, they didn't get much from her. How about uh, Flaw J. Johnson? You want to talk about a freshman moment for her? <laughs> she didn't even score in that game yesterday. So they, they need, obviously, more out of her. So that's a sign. I, I think that you know that was a freshman moment for her, in that uh, she's never played in an environment like that, you know. And then you know, last year Poa and Kateri Poole and Shamaya Smith, those those were really just role players uh, coming off the bench. Uh, Shamaya Smith did as about as well as he could. Again, that's a, a freshman there. Um, but I would say, uh, to me, I think the third person that well really i mean carson and johnson to me uh, those two really just need to step up their offensive games and and you know especially carson because she provides the ability to to knock down shots from the outside uh flaw j johnson she she can do so many different things for you i know it wasn't illustrated in the game yesterday or it didn't work out that way for her but she could do a lot of different things for you to help you win but i think getting Carson, get, figuring out a way to get her going again here offensively. I mean, she's a veteran player, so uh, I think she's a big part as far as uh, what LS, how far LSU could go in the NCAA tournament. Let's switch over to the men. They've now lost 12 in a row. They're 1-11 in conference play. They're now below 500 for the first time this season. They began the season 12-1, and so their decline has been well epic they are the worst team right now in the sec jeff but the schedule starts to open up a little bit here with some winnable what we deem i guess winnable games would be the better way of describing it they have to go at georgia tomorrow night but then it's at home versus south carolina 
on Saturday. Okay, and in South Carolina, Vandy, Ole Miss, that's that stretch of games they have. South Carolina is two and ten in the SEC. Ole Miss is two and ten in the SEC. Is this the week that we see the LSU men's basketball team snap their twelve game losing streak? Yeah, I could see them beating South Carolina on Saturday at home. I, I mean, I think maybe that's where it happens. Um, I think if they don't do it that day, I don't know if they win a, a game. You know, I don't know if they go on the road and they can beat Old Miss. I mean, Vanderbilt's been playing much better here much lately. Better. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not predicting a victory there, but it really is just a, the same old story for this team. I mean. Uh, to get down by to, to get down by 29 points in the first half, I mean that that's hard to do. I mean you're it's 41 to 17 at halftime. Um, now I understand they they scored 45 points in the second half, but in, in all these games it's these just long droughts, um, eight, nine, ten, eleven minutes of just not scoring a made bucket. Um, you know, they started off one for 14 in the, to start off the game on Saturday night, uh, you know, just, just missing shots. Um, and, you know, some easy shots around the basket. There was a missed layup there. They missed a couple of threes. And, um, you know, Coach Matt McMahon, he, I mean, he, he's been trying to be as positive as he can uh, during this difficult time, but he even called it, incredibly disappointing as far as how they played on Saturday night against the Aggies. So uh, maybe, uh, so yeah, maybe they get the win against South Carolina, but um, the the max as far as the number of league wins here is, is three. And that might be, (laughs) that might be wishful thinking the way that way this is going. I mean, there's been some bad LSU basketball teams, Raymond, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we'd have to look back at some of the bad teams that, the, you know, the last one that Johnny Jones had, uh, Trent Johnson, uh, it was it got miserable. Um, John Brady, uh, after that Sweet 16 run, the, the next year that team was really bad. I think they won one or two games in league play. But I just don't re- – I, I mean, it's hard for me to remember those seasons because they were that bad and they're just more forgettable than anything. But I don't remember those teams just getting – you know, losing by double digits every single game, and that's that's what's happening here. I mean, there's not even a you, you can't even look to. I mean, other than that game against Kentucky where they lost by three to start this losing streak. I mean, the rest of them have just been, for the most part, uh, double digit defeats. Jeff, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy Tiger Ag Radio this week, my friend. We'll talk to you next Monday, bud. All right, sounds good, Raymond. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, New Orleans Pelicans all-star Zion Williamson. Let's go. He's ready. He's ready to go. We may see him before the all-star break or, you know, right after the all-star break. Face of the franchise. The man getting all the money to play basketball. Well, about that. Pelicans all-star Zion Williamson sidelined since January the 2nd with a hamstring strain re-aggravated the injury 
and is expected to miss additional weeks after the All-Star break, says Vice President of Basketball Operations, David Griffin. I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. The hammy, it's the easiest, it's one of the easiest injuries to re-aggravate. And the poor kid, I firmly believe that his actual frame shouldn't be holding that much weight. And he's not fat, it's muscle. I just don't know if his frame is, he's, he's a freak of nature. I just don't know, Dawson, if his frame can actually support the mass that it that it has on it. I just don't know if it can. I, I just, I, I don't know. And, and that starts, and it's hard to stop it. It just is. It's just hard to stop it. Yeah, no comment right now because we're on a break, and I don't want to get upset, so... <laughs> As you as you fussed at me for sharing the information over the weekend, I got fussed at. Raymond, I'm trying to have a good weekend. Sorry, D'Lo. Sorry. So probably won't see Zion until middle of March, if not April. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three coming up right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions for the second time in four years as they rally from 10 points down to win the big game there in Glendale, Arizona. They were down by double-digit points against the 49ers as well. They rallied in that one, had that sensational fourth quarter. Last night, the Chiefs had a perfect second half of football. They just did. That's what happened. An absolute pristine second half of football. No penalties, no turnovers. They scored on every one of their drives. Only had one incompletion. They were perfect. The team that had the more veteran coaching, the team that made the halftime adjustments and utilized the additional time because of the halftime show, won the game. That's what it boils down to. Andy Reid has been there. He won a Super Bowl as an assistant coach. He went to the Super Bowl with the Eagles. This is his third Super Bowl now as the head coach of the Chiefs. His staff, Biennemi as OC, his DC, they've all been there and done that. And what you saw last night, as much as we want to talk about Patrick Mahomes, and he was great, the offensive line was better. I'm just going to throw it out there. The offensive line was better. In the previous two Super Bowls, Patrick Mahomes was sacked seven times, had four picks. He had a clean pocket all game long. Philly's nasty front seven was not a factor in this ballgame. 
a team that had the third most sacks in NFL history in a season, couldn't get to the quarterback. Credit Kansas City's offensive line, in particular their tackles. They played their tails off last night. They kept Mahomes clean, and he was able to make the throws. And that offensive line ran the football like their life depended on it. If I would have told you before the start of the game that the winning team would have had less than 200 yards passing, and would have ran the football better for more yardage on less carries, mind you, than the opposition by nearly 50 yards, you would have said Philadelphia would have won that game. That's what you would have told me. But it was Kansas City making the adjustment and figuring out that they could run the football against Philly's defense with their their platoon of backs, and that they were able to find other guys not named Travis Kelsey because Philly started taking Kelsey away. He had the great touchdown reception and a couple of catches on that opening drive, and then he was a non-factor for the most part for the rest of the game. He had a couple of catches in the second half. One of them was for a first down, but he wasn't a dominant force. But what that did, because the offensive line was able to block for Mahomes and keep him clean, and because they were able to run the football effectively, they went with a higher, they went with more of an up-tempo approach in the second half, especially on that first drive that they had. Up-tempo, down the field scored. What that did, because of the tempo, because they were able to keep Mahomes clean, because Philly had to respect the run game, That allowed Mahomes enough time to make passes to other guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, like Tony. All starts up front. It all starts up front. Philly's defense, I mean, Kansas City's defense scored points. Tony had that great punt return, the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. They played a perfect second half of football, and that's why they won the game. That's why they won the game. Better coach team. The more veteran coach team made their second half adjustments. And they went out there and won the game. Wasn't all just Patrick Mahomes. He played really well. He played great. No sacks. No turnovers. That's something that he'd never done before in a Super Bowl. But that offensive line was magnificent. Other guys that have not are not really dynamic playmakers stepped up like Juju and like Tony. They caught the ball that, that when when they had their opportunities, they seized the moments. The tempo and the run game, Philly had no answer for. Reddick was a non-factor. I thought he was he he's been a disruptive force guy. He had 16 sacks this year. Was a machine in the 49ers game. He's the one that knocked out Brock Purdy. Not a factor. None whatsoever. And we got ourselves a really, really, really good game. Now, it kind of, you know, peters out a little bit there at the end. Because they just taken a knee and setting up the field goal. I would have preferred, especially with the time being on the clock, I would prefer them to see try to punch it in for a touchdown. But... That's what they wanted to do is to milk all the time off the clock. 
and the Chiefs win it. And the better coach team won the game. We talk about it all the time, but coaching matters. It's not that Philly's a poorly coached team. They're not. But they're a bunch of young dudes, younger guys, guys that are candidates to be the next head coach for the Indianapolis Colts and the next head coach for the Arizona Cardinals, by the way. So Philly could use both of their coordinators this offseason. But you could tell the veteran coaching matters. You know, we, we talked about it, Dawson, for so many years when we see New England. They'd have a great quarterback in Tom Brady, yes. But they also had Bill Belichick. And the coaching would always kind of matter. Against the Falcons, the Patriots made adjustments, rallied to win that game. Like The veteran coaches matter. If you have a guy that's a really good quarterback, that's great. You have great players. That matters. You need to have great players in the NFL to win. But they schemed it up right on offense and said, the enemy and Reed were like, we're going to run the we're going to run the football. When a guy with a high ankle sprain re-injures that high ankle and still is able to run for what 26 yards on a scramble, like Philly's defense had no idea that that was going to happen. He just ran. He ran right in the middle. He just woof, woof, right there, and you saw the linebacker turn around and go, "Uh oh." The hobbled quarterback is is picking up a first down and more. It was a perfect second half of football by Kansas City. And that's why they won the game. Yeah, I think it's also like worth mentioning how how impressive it is that Kansas City's put themselves back in this spot over and over again for the past five years now since Mahomes has been there because how many teams do we see that you get to that pinnacle, it's difficult to stay motivated. Just ask the Rams. I mean, look at what happened to them. Now, they had some injuries and things, but even when their whole group was healthy at times this year, I mean, they were just a disaster. And, you know, it's... We've seen it time and time again. We saw Doug Peterson win a Super Bowl and, you know, was gone a, a few couple years, years later, later because yeah. of how difficult it is to keep people. And when it's as difficult as it is in the NFL to get to that moment, for whatever reason, it seems like, you know, I, I guess it's maybe that kind of, uh, you know, you've already accomplished what you set out to accomplish. So to reset and try to run it back is just easier said than done. But Kansas City has consistently been there. And again, there are a few weird players, weird plays away from having been there all these years. You know, the, the the Bengals game was close at the end, and they probably should have won it. So that's impressive. And and what Andy Reid and what Patrick Mahomes have both done as leaders is something that you don't see often. And we saw it with New England for so long, and now we're seeing it with Kansas City. So I think that's something that kind of needs to be appreciated. If you have a talented guy at quarterback who takes coaching, that's going to give you a leg up. Because, look, that's what Mahomes is. He does a lot of great things. But Mahomes is humble, and Mahomes takes Andy and Bienemy's coaching. You hear his teammates talk about it all the time, that he's a humble guy and that he's motivated. And you heard Andy Reid talk about it after the Super Bowl last night, saying he wants to be the greatest player of all time. Sounds a lot like Tom, right? Drew Brees was built that way as well. I want to be great. All the time. Every game, I want to be great. If you have a guy under center that is your hardest worker, is the first guy in, the last guy out, who never rests on his accolades, who never rests on being considered the best player in the league, if you have that guy, he inspires everyone else. He inspires everybody else. And the, the great ones do that. 
They walk into a locker room and they make everyone else better because they push everyone. And Kansas City has that, and they have a coaching staff that knows how to do that as well. That's the other part of it. And like you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, bad news for the AFC. They're not going anywhere, and Mahomes isn't going anywhere, and this core isn't going anywhere, and they kind of showed you this year we can lose a top piece and still not really They lost an all-pro top three wide receiver. And so, yeah. And And still won a Super Bowl. The crazy thing is, like, when you look at the roster, we'll see. They might lose some pieces here and there. Everybody does with the salary cap. But they they have a chance to be better next year. Like, that's the way I'm looking at it right now. Yes. And maybe that's a little bit reactionary, but they look to me like they have a chance to be even better. Now, again, a whole new group of guys who have gotten to this point. You have to find ways to then keep those guys motivated and hungry. Yes. Which, so far, Andy Reid's done a great job of. So we'll see if they can bring everybody back. And if they, you know, even on paper, that doesn't necessarily look like that when you get out there. But when you take a look at who they have and who they're going to get back, and who's under contract, and what they did this year with what they had, they do still have a chance to be just as good, if not better, next season. And they don't have a legitimate number one wide receiver on their roster. So, once again, it's always funny how that works. This offseason, last couple offseasons, we've seen wide receivers move and get huge paydays because they're moving around, right? Kansas City just showed everyone, you don't need to pay a wide receiver an enormous amount of money. Now, to be fair, Kelsey's not really a tight end, Right? He was like what Jimmy Graham was with the Saints. He, he plays the tight end position, but he's really a wide receiver. Now, to credit Kelsey, he is also a good blocker, which is an underrated part of his game. But when you have the best tight end, maybe of all time, pass catching tight end of all time, you can have guys like Tony and Schuster out there who are really only number twos, maybe even number threes on most rosters, being your number one and number two options at wide yeah, receiver. Yeah, they, they do have a number. It is Kelsey. It's, it's, like, it's Travis. They have. It's, so, it's Travis. But they did show you that there's different ways of thinking of things, and I think the idea a couple of years ago was everybody's got to go out and get a number one receiver and everything like that. They showed you that there's different ways to think about it. and They also I, showed you that if you run the ball effectively up front, which they did, for more than 150 yards on the ground last night. You play defense, you run the ball effectively, you can win any game you play. And I, I've screamed that for years. And I understand we're, we're it's it's a pass-happy pass league now, and it's all quarterback-driven and wide receiver-driven. I understand all that. But Kansas City showed you their quarterback threw for less than 200 yards last night, and they won the game. The league MVP threw for less than 200 yards, and they won the game because they played some defense enough, especially in the second half, and they ran the football. They ran the football. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, great game Super Bowl 57 was. With the exception of the McNeese men, it was not a great weekend on the hardwood. We'll recap that for you next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? 
Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It was a tough weekend on the hardwood for the majority of the teams that we talk about here on RP3 and company, with the exception of one. Shout out to the McNeese men, and we'll get to them here in a moment. LSU men, we talked about with Jeff Plerma when he joined us last hour. They've lost 12 straight. They're now 12 and 13 overall. They're below 500 overall for the first time this season. This is a team that began the season 12 and 1. And 1-0 in SEC play with that win over Arkansas. But that was a blip, man. And the roster, as flawed as it is, they look, they turn over the ball way too much. They don't shoot well. I, I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how well coached you are in basketball. If you don't shoot well, Dawson, <laughs> and you turn over the ball a bunch, you know what's going to happen in basketball? You're going to lose. And that's where LSU stands. They're at the bottom of the SEC standings as it stands right now. We thought Vandy a month and a half ago would have been a winnable game. Well, Vandy's playing like a team that's trying to get into the NCAA tournament. You got Ole Miss, you got South Carolina. They have to play at Georgia tomorrow. Georgia's a middle of the pack team. They're doing better than a lot of people expected, but on the road at Georgia, then at home on Saturday versus South Carolina. Then they still have Vandy and Ole Miss to go. And then Missouri and Florida, too. More than likely, this team's going to be below 500 overall, right? Heading into the SEC tournament. I just I just don't see enough wins on the ledger for this team, especially with the way they continually, week after week, game after game, play basketball. But LSU and South Carolina seemingly uh, giving up the men's success for the women's success, I guess. You got by far the best two teams on the women's side and by far the worst two on the men's side. By far the worst two teams on the the men's side, yes. It's funny how that worked out. So we'll see if they can actually turn things around. They they lost and they were just, yeah, Texas A&M's a better team, more talent. Got to have talent on the roster when it comes to basketball. So the men lose again. The women who were previously undefeated, ranked number three in the country, do they still have the potential to be a Final Four team? Absolutely. Are they on the same level as South Carolina? No. And I've been laying the groundwork for this for weeks. Look, South Carolina is the bar. They're the defending national champs. They haven't lost a game. And Dawn Staley's bunch has players coming off the bench getting double-doubles. That's how talented they are. That's how deep they are. Where they have players coming off the bench to give them double-doubles. LSU's not there. They got two really great players and then a bunch of other players. They're just not there. Angel Reese is a really good player, a great player. Alexis Morris is a very good player. That's what they have. They don't have a number three. They just don't. Not on that level. Now, depending on how the draw works and everything like that, obviously we still have a handful of games in the regular season and then, of course, the SEC tournament. Jeff Palermo said once again that he expects the LSU women in South Carolina to face off three times this year. 
The first time was on Sunday. They'll face off again in the SEC tournament, and they'll face off again in the NCAA tournament. I could see that. That The problem is that South Carolina has more talented players, and they're more battle-tested. What happened on Sunday getting punched in the mouth, I mean, it was 18-2 to at one point in the first quarter. They will get better because of that. But South Carolina has taken down Stanford, Maryland, UCLA, UConn. They did Stanford and UConn on the road, by the way. Not even at, the, at, at their place, which was electric yesterday. LSU's working to get to that level. They're not on South Carolina's level. No one else in women's college basketball is on South Carolina's level. So let's be fair here. <laughs> it's South Carolina and then it's Stanford, Maryland, UConn, LSU, and the rest. There's a dip. It's them and everybody else. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I like what Jeff said because you asked about you know the blueprint maybe being kind of trying to aggravate Angel Reese, get her in some foul trouble. But I do agree. Like probably ninety five percent of the teams that in this in the country are not going to have anybody who can really do that to her. But as you take a look at it, as they get into tournament play and you get in, you know, past the obviously the round of sixty four, the round of thirty two, and you get into the Sweet Sixteen where you know, everybody's pretty good. If a team's able to do it and if she picks up maybe a ticky-tack foul call early in the game, all of a sudden she's got two fouls early, that's probably anybody's best bet to beat this team outside of, of course, the top, you know, eight to ten teams that we think would have a legitimate chance against them anyway. Um, I think that's something that she's going to have to work on and probably good that it happened in this game to kind of give you an idea of how they can react to it. So I agree. And this is the type of game, and if they face off again in the SEC tournament, these are the type of games that are going to be make LSU women better prepared to make a run in the NCAA tournament. It's going to help them. That's what's going to help. And Mulkey's an old-school coach, so she's the type of coach that takes more from a loss than she does from a win. It just is. That's how she's built. Rough weekend for LSU. Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I have no idea what happened at Troy. I really don't. Losing at Southern Miss makes sense to me because they had a near sellout of crowd. They're one of the other best teams in the Sun Belt Conference along with the Raging Cajuns. You had already beat them at your place. They beat you at their place. It makes sense. I can buy into that. But that was a lackluster effort on the road at Troy. They lost by 15 points to a Troy team they dominated, dominated. And then they go on the road and lose by 15. Here's the problem for the Cajuns. They're still a 20-win team. They're 20-6. and six. They're 10-4 and four in conference play. They're 7-6 and six away from the Cajun Dome. They're not a good road team. There's not. And this week is tricky for them. Because we talked about it before the weekend. Hey, if they went out and Southern Miss slips up somewhere, because Southern Miss had their hands full with ULM for a, for a while on Saturday. They ended up winning that game. But Southern Miss still has to go on the road, go away from their home to finish out conference play as well, right? We talked about, well, hey, they can still get a share of the conference title because, and then that would ensure that they get into the NIT. I don't see that happening now. I, I Because you dropped a game to Troy that you should have won. And it's tricky because now you have to face a very hard fighting 
ULM team on Thursday. At home, you should win that game. But then you have to immediately the next day travel to go to James Madison, who's nipping at your heels now in the standings. I think Saturday's loss could prove costly to winning the regular season title. Now, you can still control your destiny by making a run at the conference tournament in Pensacola, but I want to get your reaction here. I mean, Jordan Brown was no factor. They, they, played, they played their worst second half of basketball against Southern Miss. They probably played their worst game of the year against Troy. Well, and again, they were still up by five at half, so it was the second half again. Uh, that's the second time. Uh, yeah, no, this was this was a sluggish, and I think that's that's what I chalk it up to. A talked about this a little bit already last week with Foot. Um, when a team as that's Troy was a pretty good team, um, and they played their worst game of the year against you. You knew they were going to play better, and so I almost kind of don't like when something like that happens when you dominate a team that much, but you know that that team is actually pretty decent. Troy's starting to play really good right now, and they've, you know, Troy has actually re-entered the conversation here of being a team that could be into that top four. They're only a game behind James Madison now at eight and six. Correct, and both of those teams are nipping at the heels of the Cajuns. Yeah, and so that that's more my worry now. If you don't take care of business here, especially on Thursday night, we talked about how Saturday is a scheduling just nightmare. Oh, James nightmare. Madison, by the way, is at home both games this week, so they don't even have to go anywhere. Oh, whereas you all has to play at Monroe, play against Monroe at home and then travel there. So I don't think that's particularly fair, but it was a little bit of a scheduling thing, I guess, when the new teams got added that was probably done last minute. Um, but, yeah, and Troy and Old Dominion are the two teams you need to watch now. They're both 8-6, and six, and Troy you would have a split with, but Old Dominion you lost a tri- tiebreaker to. So if Old Dominion wins out, which... The good news is Old Dominion has the most difficult schedule by far of any team left in the conference. They still play three of the top four teams in the last two weeks of the season. So I would say you don't have to worry too much about that, but if one of those teams jumps up and you lose, let's say, two of these last four, and one of those teams, either Old Dominion or Troy, wins out, you're tied for that potential fourth spot. So that's an issue, and you you can't... If this team falls out of the top four heading into the conference tournament, it's going to be hard to see them putting a run together winning four games in four days, so... Um, everything's still in front of you, I would say, outside of maybe the regular season title. Um, I don't. I, I wasn't shocked by it. Troy's a pretty good team, and it's tough to go on the road in this conference. But I wasn't shocked that they lost. Yeah, they didn't look good. Down they the didn't stretch. look good. Right again, they didn't look good, and they haven't looked good on the road. Period. Remember, they lost at Coastal Carolina. They lost at Old Dominion. They're not a good road team. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here in RP Three and Company. Fletcher Mackle from WDSU in New Orleans. We're going to talk Pelicans. We're going to talk Saints with Fletcher. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Cake and need it too, baby. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All 
Oh, Derek Carr not getting traded to the New Orleans Saints. Zion Williamson missing more time while the team is on the struggle bus. Not a great weekend for news concerning the New Orleans professional sports teams. But maybe there's a silver lining. Maybe they'll still get a deal done with Derek Carr and he'll just come to the New Orleans Saints and sign as an unrestricted free agent. Maybe Zion Williamson being out longer will just mean that he'll be good and healthy for a playoff run. To give us the real talk, though, is a man who covers both of those teams. He is a three-time Associated Press Louisiana Sportscaster of the Year from WDSU in New Orleans. Our friend Fletcher Mackle joins us. Fletcher, good morning, brother. How are you, bud? I am doing well. A beautiful morning. So uh, not beautiful for sports fans right now in our area. Our zenith was rising. You know, just what you said, car and Zion, and then like a black hole yesterday sucked out all that good energy. So uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's not great right now, but like you said, it's not – it's not completely over on either case. It's not completely over. So let's start with the Derek Carr situation. I I understand why Derek Carr wouldn't want to do anything. Uh, because why would he want to do the Raiders a favor, right? Like, like, they don't want him to be their quarterback. Why would he help them out with salary cap and let them get a pick when he knows that there's a market for him, when he knows the team like a Saint, like the Saints or multiple other teams are going to be suitors so I I, I don't uh, I don't fault the guy for saying you know what I'm not going to do you a solid uh, he's he's thinking what's best for him and that's what now is going to happen is he's going to force them to cut him and become a free agent yeah and, and, and I'll say this I look at it both ways is I, I agree that the team turned on him they, they mutually agreed to part ways it, it wasn't the prettiest of situations how I feel like the Raiders handled it but I think more than anything, it's not so much to spite the Raiders as it is for the opportunity to be a free agent in your prime. Rarely does that happen. Great quarterbacks. Look, Drew Brees got franchise tag. He never hit free agency um, in his prime, you know, when he was, you know, at the height of his, you know, capability, so to say, back in 2012, the Saints franchise tagged him. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is going to get franchise tag. Derek Carr's 31 years old. He's in the prime of his career. He's got 38 past his prime. He's not some young guy we don't know yet. So I think for him, this is his last big payday. And and there's going to be a massive market for him. There's too many teams out there that feel like they're close that aren't going to be able to draft a great quarterback like a Bryce Young early in the top few picks and, and that don't want to have to sign someone like Baker Mayfield or Jameis Winston or, you know, a real retread out there. Um, so the only two bona fide winning starting quarterbacks out there, and I and really only one is a winning quarterback, but they're both bona fide starting quarterbacks, so Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Derek Carr. And you look at teams like Tampa Bay, New Orleans, the Commanders, the Jets, maybe the Raiders for Garoppolo. Um, maybe Carolina, depending on what they want to do. That, that's a lot of teams out there. Maybe San Francisco, even, if, if, if they don't truly believe in Trey Lance or Brock Purdy and they want a steadier hand at the wheel. So there's a lot of teams out there, potentially for Derek Carr, that could throw four years and $120 million at him yep. in, with, 30, you know, with 60 or 80 guaranteed. So I think that, yes, you know, I think he was interested in the Saints. And I think the Saints did themselves uh, a solid, so to say, 
by bringing him in and at least having the meet and greet. They've at least beaten everybody else out the gate. But there's going to be competition for Derek Carr now. Who th- who poses the, be- the the biggest threat to getting Derek Carr? I mean, I, I, when I think of it, Fletcher, I think the Jets feel like they're a quarterback away. Uh, they feel like they got everything else but the quarterback. I think they're going to be in play for Derek Carr. And I think maybe the Carolina Panthers are going to be in play for Derek Carr. Who do you believe is going to pose the biggest threat of signing Carr away from the Saints? I would put those two, except I would put them in a different order. I think the Jets are going to go hard after Aaron Rodgers. And, and and if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers, I agree with you. I think the Jets could be scary good with Aaron Rodgers. But if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, if Rodgers ends up in Vegas or Miami or some unknown destination we're not talking about, I think Derek Carr would be a really good fit in New York. Um, I think his connection to Frank Wright, uh, the Frank Wright, the the new Carolina coach, is very strong. They're both big Christians. They're in some of the same fellowship groups together. There was a lot of rumors linking Carr to Indianapolis a couple of years ago when, when Frank was the coach there. So now that they're together in Carolina, Carolina had a nice run at the end of the season. They've got a nice defense and some solid young offensive linemen. I could certainly see him there. And again, look, Tampa's in a spot like the Saints. Brady retired. Tampa can't blow it up because of their contract situation. They've got some nice players on that roster that I could see Tampa saying, look, we'll get a veteran quarterback in here, and we can still maintain relevancy in the NFC South and in the NFC. Um, and then San Francisco would be a dark horse for me because, you know, there were some rumors that Brady could go back there, but now that he's retired. Look, Brock Purdy was a great story, but I don't know if it's a big enough body of work to, to say he's the next stud in the league. And now he's going to have elbow surgery. And, and Trey Lance, same thing. You know, you don't know what you get. I could certainly see a Derek Carr going to San Francisco. And I, I'm not quite sure how it would work out money-wise, but I wouldn't rule them out as a dark horse destination, so to say. So if the Saints can't get someone like Derek Carr because maybe they'll, they won't be able to afford to go get him because someone's going to overpay for him, what do they do at quarterback, Fletcher? Um, I think you see the way they're going. I, I, I certainly think they'll be in on Jimmy Garoppolo then. And I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is as talented as Derek Carr, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a winner, and you can't argue with that. His record is like 40-18 and 18 as a starter, and he's been to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game. See, Carr, to me, has a lot of arm talent. Like, you look at him throw, you watch that skills competition at the Pro Bowl, and you see a guy where you go, wow, I mean, this guy still has it. He makes every throw you know, kind of that the whip motion of his arm. You, I, he's not Rodgers, but he's got the ability to operate an offense, make plays on the fly, unscripted. Derek Carr has, has a ton of crazy ability. Garoppolo doesn't have that kind of quote-unquote crazy ability, but I still think he's an upgrade over Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, anybody else. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, it, it, I think Carr is probably worth the thirty million, okay. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get overpaid at twenty-five or thirty million a year. But just what we just said, all the reasons we just said, the Jets feel like they're close. Carolina can justify being close. Tampa is close. The Saints feel like they're close. Um, I mean, look, who's to say Jimmy G, you know, doesn't end up someplace like like Miami if they don't know about Tua's health situation? So I, I just think there's going to be a market. Look, Jimmy, Jimmy G. Josh McDaniel, the, the Raiders coach, 
head Jimmy Garoppolo in New England. Maybe he feels like he's a steady quarterback away. The Raiders had a great running back who led the league in rushing. They have one of the best receivers in football. Maybe they feel like we're just a quarterback away out here in Vegas, a quarterback that we know and trust, not Derek Carr. So I think the Saints are also, if they, if they strike out on Carr and he picks the Jets or Carolina or someplace else, I would expect the Saints to be in on Garoppolo. And if they strike out on both of them, I have no clue. I mean, I would almost write the 2023 season off if one of these guys isn't their quarterback because then you go, then you go deep down the reclamation project list and start talking about the Baker Mayfield, or I, I don't think they can reconcile things with Jameis, but I, I don't know who. And then they can't get up to draft somebody in the top five. So I, I really don't know where they're going to go if it's not one of those two. Fletcher, we'll get you out of here with this. Zion Williamson, we find out yesterday he will not be back for the All-Star game. He will not be back right after the All-Star break because he's re-aggravated the hamstring. Look, the kid plays with joy. He looked like he was really taking his game to the next level before the injury. But this cat can't stay healthy, man. How do Pelican fans stay positive about the fact that the face of the franchise, the guy that's making all the money, is just always injured? Um, it's, it's difficult because that's the hardest thing. Is If you were just bad, if you drafted some bust and you knew you were bad, you'd just say, we're bad, we know we're bad, but you see glimpses. That's the hard thing. I mean, look, it, when Zion, at the beginning of the season in November and December, when he was you know, the player of the month in December, I mean, he does historic stuff from a stats perspective. He, you know, he had this team at number one in the Western Conference, and that's saying something given how deep this conference is. He was an all-star starter, and then he gets hurt. So when he plays, it's like teasing the fans because it's, it's, you see the greatness, but he just can't stay healthy because he is such a unique body type, and, and, and we've never seen anything like it. And it's just it's difficult. It's difficult for the fan base here, um, and, and because it, it pulls you in so many good and bad directions. Um, but I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if he'll ever be able to stay healthy. I, I, I wish there was something the trainers could figure out, Zion could figure out about, you know, maintaining and stabilizing his performance for 82 games, but they have yet to be able to do it in four years now. I, I hope they will be able to figure it out because he's still only 22 years old. He came in the league at 18. But right now it's just frustrating and, and yeah, and, and, and difficult for fans to swallow because they're probably going to be a play-in team. They're not going to make a deep run in the playoffs given how deep the West is. Um, maybe if Zion comes back at the end of the season, they can do something special. But who knows when that's going to be. It may be too little too late. Fletcher, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing for WDSU, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, but enjoy your week. All right, Ray. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We had so much to get to this morning. Super Bowl 57, the Saints and Derek Carr, Zion and the Pelicans, LSU men and women's basketball, Cajuns men's basketball. Got to give a shout out to the McNeese men's basketball team. They were down by 22 points at the break. 22 point 
deficit. And they rallied all the way back to take down UNO 79 to 78. Harwin Francois hit a three pointer with 12.6 seconds left to give McNeese its first lead of the game. They won their second straight game. They defeated top ranked in the Southern Conference Southeastern on Thursday. McNeese is fighting for its life to get into the actual Southland Conference Tournament, which they're hosting at the Legacy Center. And John Aiken's team deserves to give some credit here. They improved to 7-19 overall, but they've won two in a row. And to come back from 22 points down at the half to win the ball game, shout-out to the Mid-East Cowboys. They deserve it. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Darren. D, what's up, my man? What's on your mind, bud? I got about a minute, but it's yours. Yes, I had a few things I wanted to discuss, but I'm I'm gonna hurry and try to make it quick. Uh, people got to think about the 49ers too. They have a quarterback controversy on their hands too, because they got to think they letting Jimmy G go, and the quarterback that they drafted uh, in the first round two years ago, Trey Lance, he's going to be back healthy, but they don't expect him to be their starter, and the guy that they expect to be their starter. He's not going to be back. I don't think he's going to be back by the beginning of the season. So they might be looking for a quarterback. And he's not – I don't think he's going to be the starter. So they might be in a hunt for a quarterback. So they might be interested in Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers or whoever might be on the market. So things better look out for – Multiple teams. Know, you know, yep. Yeah. And my Jets are also in a market for Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr, so they have competition on their hands with all the quarterbacks that's out there. That's right, bud. And and you also know I'm going to bring up Zion while I'm here. You got 20 seconds, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pelican fans, y'all, y'all wasting y'all time with with this guy. He's a awesome talent, but he's too fragile. So y'all, 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 y'all wasting your time trying to build your your franchise around a guy who's never going to be there. So y'all need to move aside with this guy and trade him while y'all while he still have value. I do. Hang up and, Th- and, and, and thank you, pass bud. It on thank you, bud. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, look, they're not going to trade Zion because that's Griff's guy. He's not going to do it. But whew, it's tough if you're a Pelicans fan. It's absolutely tough if you're Pelicans. Final results of the poll question of the day. What was Kansas City's most important play in yesterday's Super Bowl? 38% of you say Bolton's scoop and score defensive touchdown. 36% say Tony's 65-yard punt return, longest punt return in Super Bowl history. 16% say other, 10% say Mahomes' 26-yard run late. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. I want to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio and Fletcher Mackle from WDSU in New Orleans. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.